All right, guys, uh, this is episode three. We are talking about evil and suffering in this episode. Hopefully some of this conversation has been helpful to you. We have our guest, Dominic Doan, everybody. Yes. <laughs> and we have Dina here. Uh, how's, no uh, how's your day going, Dina? It's good. You okay? Yeah, okay, good. pretty good. Um, okay, evil and suffering. Uh, this is a big one. This, this yeah. to be honest, uh, it's been called the rock of atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone is to put me in a corner and go, what, if you ever lose your faith, what will be the reason? If I was dead honest, it would probably be this. Mm-hmm. It'd probably be this. There's just 100%. so much awfulness in the world. Yeah. So much pain, mm-hmm. so much evil, so much suffering that it really sometimes is hard in your moments where you're not being a philosopher you know, or a theologian mm-hmm. where you just in that moment go, to be honest, this does suck. Why, why is this? So the, the, the basic problem is this, uh, how could there be a loving, mm-hmm. all loving David Hume, of course, back in the day, is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Mm-hmm. Then he's impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? Um, so it's this question of how could he be all loving? Yeah. How could he be all powerful and yet allow, let, watch mm-hmm. while all this is happening? And people have come up with all kinds of different answers because, uh, and we'll get into some of those. Um, uh, some people just said, well, if God exists, he's just out there somewhere and he's, he's kind of self-limited himself right. and he just kind of lets it go and he wants to see how it all plays out. And so that's why he doesn't interfere. And yeah. I think that raises a whole bunch of other <laughs> problems, but why did he choose yeah, well, that seems <laughs> not seems smart. Um, so yeah, this this is just such a pointed. So if you're watching this, uh, we get it; it's real. Mm-hmm. How did you first enter? How do you feel about this grisly problem? Guys? Oh my gosh! Well, I, I think what you just said is so key, Mark, because it's really easy just to automatically jump to what's the philosophical answers or theological yeah. answers, but this is a deeply human personal problem that everyone encounters at some point. I think it was Nicholas Waltersdorf who said that my wound is an unanswered question. And then he said the wound of all humanity is an unanswered question. And you're right. This question more than any other is really the one that causes people to lose their faith. They walk through a season of breakup, heartache, cancer, loss of a loved one. Someone commits suicide. They look at the the world, what's happening. I was just in... um, Vienna last year working with Ukrainian refugees and spent a week with them hearing their stories of what they've gone through. Just yeah. horrific, horrific yeah. stories. And I think we have to just pause and just say that is the world we live in. Mm. And we've all been there. We all have our own stories of, of things we've encountered and gone through. Um, so there's, a, there's that pastoral element. But but I yeah. think, too, we also have to define, okay, what is evil and suffering? And can we differentiate right. between evil and suffering? Um, suffering is something that as humans we encounter, but evil, in a sense, can be an overlapping category, but it's almost a distinct category from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, also, too, we have to distinguish between natural suffering and, and moral suffering or natural evil, moral evil. Right. Um 
the the moral evil is things that humans do to one another. Mm. And so much of the world right now, the things that are happening uh, is because of what we as humans have done to yep. one another. Yep. And we, we're, I think we're wrong to fix that blame on God. We can ask God, how long, oh Lord, like David did in Psalms, but we can Or commit, why don't you interrupt yeah, more? Yeah, why don't you interrupt? Yeah. When Hitler tries to exactly. do that, why don't yes. you show up and stop him? You know, yeah. that, that's a legitimate that question. That a good moment for you to intervene. Yeah, like, yeah. You're going to use your power. If you're going to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was uh, Ellie Wiesel's whole argument mm-hmm. in his yep. intensely moving <laughs> book, Night, where yeah. he goes through the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. He's in a concentration camp. And then he describes his faith uh, going up in smoke as he watched yeah. these bodies literally right. going up in smoke. And that was the question he asked yeah. was, why don't you stop this? Yeah. Yes, we've done this to one another, but why doesn't God intervene? So I, I think living in that tension <laughs> is really important, just acknowledging this is a immensely painful yeah. and personal thing. And for me, I think it's been so important to separate that there are actually two aspects to this problem. Yeah. There's an intellectual side to this problem, but there's also an, 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 an I always have trouble saying this word, emotional and an emotional side of the problem. Mm-hmm. So on the intellectual side, we look at what the Bible says about who God is and what we encounter in our world. We say, intellectually, this does not add up. How does this possibly make sense? But then emotionally, even if we somehow solve the intellectual side, there's still this emotional component of this hurts. Mm, I have this wound. I feel pain. Mm. I have a hard time drawing close to a God that would allow this. And so often I've seen in my own experience that rather than being able to fully address either aspect of the problem, I just kind of ping pong between the intellectual side and the emotional side. So I think as a way of like starter advice, if there's anything that we can do to ask ourselves the true honest question, which side of the problem are we trying to answer right now? Are we trying to answer the intellectual side or the emotional side of this problem because they're going to they're going to result in different mm. solutions. Absolutely. And yeah. every worldview has to grapple with this question. That's right. Yes. And it's not just Christianity, it's it's atheism, it's agnosticism, it's Buddhism, it's Islam. Like every yeah. worldview yeah. tr- p- tries to put forth what we call a theodicy. Yeah, that's How so do important. we justify the the goodness of God in the face of horror? Yeah, we're we're going to get to that in a minute. So but to your point, this is a personal question, and the problem with it being a personal question is that sometimes our experience starts to shape our philosophy mm. um, about things. So, right. you know, Tim Keller tells a story about, you know, the college kid who goes away for a couple of years, and he's a Christian, and he comes back, and he doesn't believe in God anymore, and, and he says, well, I, you know, I took a philosophy class, and... Yeah, and I realized that belief in God wasn't legit. And really, at the end of it, when you talk to him a couple years later, it's, you know what? I started sleeping around, and I worked backward from there. Right. And I already chose to like this, Mm -hmm. and then I worked backward Mm. to, I want to remove God from my worldview because I don't want to change what I'm already loving or doing. And what happens in this question is we we get stricken with pain, Mm -hmm. and we start to work backward. Right. And that's legitimate mm-hmm. and that's fair mm-hmm. but it also can color our belief system in a way that's scary mm-hmm. because if all if all of your conclusions about life and the universe are coming from just emotional experience you're not thinking the best necessarily you're yeah. getting shaded to go one way or the other which can backfire on you when you're pursuing what is just true not what might feel 
right in a particular mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, Krista so. Black Gifford has this great quote. She says, if you're not anchored in the goodness of God, you will always lower your theology to match your pain, which yeah. is exactly what you're saying, is, yes. is if you are not getting mm-hmm. your revelation about who God is and what the truth is from some external, non, you know, inside the world experience, mm-hmm. then you're going to you're going to emerge with an idea of God that may not be accurate. It might just be your experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She cautions yeah. us against Yeah, that. I mean, Augustine said something similar to what you were saying as well, that the mind won't believe what the heart won't obey. Ooh, that's so <laughs> um, and, and so there is, I think, what suffering can do is force us to open up within our own assumptions mm-hmm. yeah. about our yeah. life and also about who we think God is. And I think you're right, the goodness of God, that is the foundation I, of any a- attempt to respond to this mm-hmm. question. And I think just starting to our audience by saying we could go around the three of us, we're not coming into this question having never experienced suffering. Right. Every All three of us could tell our stories and all of them are going to include points of suffering, evil, things that have happened to us um, that, so, but yet we still sit here with faith in God. Right, and yet we still believe. So we're not coming out of the, you know, hey, we've lived a perfect life. But those of you out there who've had some pain, this is real in all of our lives. So the first thing to say is it's a personal question. Mm -hmm. Second thing to say, to to your point earlier, um, is this is a question. This is not a uniquely Christian problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I kind of talk about this uh, in the problem of God. I have a whole chapter on this, and I started out by talking about how it's personally affected me, but then moving to a worldview conversation. Uh, Every worldview has to answer this question. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you start going through them, you know, a new age philosophy doesn't work out too well because evil is an illusion. Mm -hmm. So you really can't even use it as a way to say there's no God. Um, You know, Hinduism believes that we're living multiple lives out and so karma has to do its work. So mm-hmm. one of the stories that I tell is uh, I went to India on a mission trip and we show up and there's just obviously just poverty and pain, suffering. And literally there's a woman scratching our van door. And I'll never remember. She's got this baby in her arms and she's saying, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. She's you know begging mm-hmm. for money. We're just surrounded. People, no legs, like crazy. And our guide says, don't, don't don't absolve her suffering because if you do, she'll have to live this life out again because karma has to do its work on her. Oh. So leave it. So that, that whole worldview sets up a leave suffering so that the universe can do its thing mm-hmm. where Christianity, of course, I think is a better idea in the marketplace of ideas and says, go and help. Right. Yeah. Don't let the universe just cause people to suffer. So New Age philosophy of Hinduism, Buddhism, all these different philosophies and the way they approach this question. Atheism, Mm. um, I would say, is uh, not a great answer, partly because we can get into this. um, It assumes the category of evil and suffering, but in order to have a category called evil and suffering, you actually need a god. Mm -hmm. So years ago, a guy went and shot up a a theater and a person put on my Facebook page, where was God when this guy killed all these people? He was where God has always been. Mm-hmm. Nowhere, because God has never existed, and that's why this happened. And I mm-hmm. responded back to him and said, where did you get the category where someone shooting up a movie theater is decisively wrong? Mm-hmm. Maybe this was good for his tribe. Who are you to say this was an evil? And the minute you want to put God on trial, 
<laughs> for allowing evil and suffering. It, it, the acid bites back a little bit yeah. because where did you get the category called evil by which you're trying to put God on trial? So that's why the atheistic argument falls apart a little bit. So let's talk about the different yeah. worldviews and how they approach this. I mean, so to good. your point on the atheism, the, a book came out, which I don't recommend, <laughs> uh, called Straw Dogs by John Gray a number of years ago. And he's writing as an atheist and essentially saying as atheists, we need to be more honest about our worldview. And he's tapping into a little bit of Nietzsche here who said, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. In other words, if you consider a universe without God, which is what Nietzsche argued for, then nihilism is the ultimate outworking of it. And Jean Grey draws from that and he says, actually, there is no such thing as morality. Yeah. And he uses examples like the Holocaust, um, where we cannot objectively say, he writes, as atheists, that certain things are morally good or morally right. So one could flip this question around. Yes, there is the problem yeah. of evil and suffering because we do believe in a good God, but there's also the problem of good. Yeah. <laughs> why, does, why does good exist? Um, and on what basis do we have to then critique what constitutes morally right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Richard Dawkins, he would say, well, the universe just is. It's blind, pitiless mm -hmm. indifference. I think yeah. you wrote that in A River Out of Eden. That's just, you know, we just got to accept that. Yeah. And that gives no hope. Yeah. And he yeah. says, DNA neither knows nor cares in that yeah. same quote. Mm. Yep. And so, obviously, mm. Dawkins would not say this, but a logical extension of his thinking mm. is, well, then the rapist is just following their DNA and DNA neither knows nor cares. Mm -hmm. Which is, so that's why, I mean, atheism has been working on this problem for a very, very long time. There's a lot of answers to how we can have a coherent morality. And, you know, the best answer at the time is basically just we have to make this leap to meaning. Yeah. We have to decide to be brave and create our own meaning. Mm -hmm. And the only problem with that is when you're you're just rolling the dice that other people around you are going to create the same meaning, which is some of the problem you can sense in the world today of apparently we don't have the same meaning. We don't have the same values. And that's why in order to, you know, have a conversation about morality, it always yeah. ends up with culture canceling each other and just saying, we cannot even tolerate listening to your point of view. Yeah, so. because what culture defines it? Right, right. Why exactly. not? Why not ISIS culture? Exactly. Like who's to say that we're the right culture? Yeah. There has to be some higher moral good that we tap into. Yeah. Yep. So atheism falls apart because uh, it contradicts itself. The minute it wants to argue against God, it finds it, um, as you're talking about, God almost pushes back and goes, well, how do you how do you put me on trial for something you don't believe? And we could talk a lot about that, about, mm. um, you know, the whole critique of uh, a strict naturalistic evolutionary development of any morality of our cognitive faculties. Mitch Stokes wrote a book um, years ago where he talked about if our cognitive faculties are just a product of millions of years of evolutionary thinking and imprinting and we made decisions so our seed can get to, if all that's true yeah. then then even your conclusions so so the atheists say well that's why you believe in god because you have some imprint on your brain to say oh i hope there's an afterlife right. but he would say that same thinking is how we came up with the modern scientific method right. and the view of naturalistic evolution and so just as much as you can't trust your instinct about God, you can't trust your instinct about naturalistic evolution because it defined your cognitive faculties. And if you can't trust your cognitive faculties, you can't trust them to think about science either. Right. Or And all of a sudden the whole, you know, so Darwin is like, can I trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? That's what he literally got to a place. Mm -hmm. And there's where the matrix starts to get <laughs> scary because you're like, yeah. you can't trust anything. Yeah. So that's where a bit of it falls apart. Now, um, Alvin Plantiga, 
who's a philosopher, he talks about the idea that the concept of atheism saying, and, and when we're saying atheism, we're saying even just for you watching this and going, too much evil and suffering means there's no God. Right. You don't have to be like an atheist philosopher. You're just like a person going through life and that's what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, that Planet would say, that doesn't prove enough. Mm -hmm. You can't just like come out of the gate and say, well, there's so much evil, God doesn't exist. He says, there's more to prove in that. Mm -hmm. And the example he gives is he says, uh, what if a certain evil happened so that, and of course, this is how philosophers talk, so that a greater good <laughs> could come of it. Right. And then Planticus says, so now the the charge goes down from, uh, you know, God could God shouldn't exist to, well, okay, maybe that could happen if, uh, uh, he says this. So we're reduced from the initial charge down to an all-powerful person is all good only if he eliminates an evil state of affairs, which is not a logically necessary condition for a good state of affairs that outweighs it. So, yeah. of course, again, this is how philosophers talk about <laughs> nonsense. But it's like, okay, right, okay, uh, maybe I'd let him do that if this good. So now, good right, so now, now we're down to he's not allowed to do any, you know, so uh, how, what is your thinking on the atheist kind of needs to prove more? Yeah, I, I think it's really true. I think that this is part of what the book of Job is all about yeah. is, is to say human beings, based on the knowledge that they have, they are not actually in a position to make an accusation against the God of the universe because right. they lack the sufficient knowledge to make that accusation. Mm. Um, C.S. Lewis, his favorite book that he wrote uh, is called Till We Have Faces. And that's the theme of the whole book is we cannot stand face to face before the gods until we have faces. And that is the very thing that we humans lack. We even lack self-awareness. Mm -hmm. We do not know ourselves and the type of, type of evil that we are capable of, much less all of humanity, much less all of history, why God would allow this thing but not allow that thing. And so I think it's fair for us to ask this question of why would God allow evil? But I do think we have to recognize where we're at in asking the question. We're coming from a place of ignorance mm -hmm. and we lack the knowledge necessary to make an actual reasoned accusation against the God of the universe. Yeah, and I think we can distinguish between an accusation and protest mm -hmm. because there's a very biblical um, mandate in, in a sense of bringing our fears, our pain, our heartache before God. Yeah. And that's what you find in that's Psalms, what you find in Lamentations. And it seems like the Hebrews, they had this whole notion of what it means to lament pain or protest pain. In fact, when Jesus ministered, um, there was the mystery of why evil exists that he's engaging with and uh, acknowledging. Why is this guy yeah, blind? Exactly. Is the sin of his parents. But the, karma? At the same time, he's protesting it. Yeah, he's acting good. against it too. And I think there there ought to be space for us to be able to protest well. And I'm not talking about an angry, shaking your fist, although there may be days like yeah, that. There um, are in the Psalms. But there are in the Psalms. But I'm talking about like that where our hearts are just broken before God. I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I now know, Lord, you, you mentioned till we have faces. I now know, Lord, why, why you utter no answer, mm -hmm. right? And then he says, you, you are yourself the answer. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to say, I don't know. It's like when, when Peter was having his feet washed by Jesus and Jesus says, what I'm doing now, you don't get, mm -hmm. you don't understand, but you will someday. Mm -hmm. And I think suffering is that moment of like, you're doing something in my life. I don't understand it. Something's happening to me. I don't know why. 
but we do have hope. And th that's the big distinction, I think, between atheism and Christianity because atheism gives no answer to the problem of evil mm -hmm. at all other than that's the way the universe is, deal with it. Mm -hmm. Christianity offers some answers, but more than that, it gives us hope that yeah. what is broken and messed up will someday be healed so and restored good. and redeemed. Yeah, to your point, I think it was Charles Taylor talked about the idea that, you know, in ancient philosophy, um, people would bump up against, you know, the, the, the knowledge factor and go, you know what, we don't understand what the gods are doing. Mm. So there's pain and suffering in the world. We don't, we, we could never know enough to put the gods on trial yeah. for what's going on. So we're just, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But post 1800s, enlightenment, philosophy, science, tech, the more we advanced, the more we went, you know what, maybe we, we would know. Maybe we know better. Mm -hmm. And so this evil and suffering, it's like became more of a problem in the last 200 years than it was through it history, even though those people were actually suffering far more. Mm. Like, if, don't put me back 500 years ago and, and <laughs> give me a toothache. Right. Like we have it, you know, to your point of the problem of good, you know, uh, one philosopher talked about the idea, the problem of good is like, how do we know that God isn't holding back 99.9% .9 of the evil that could be happening right. in the universe. So we look at the universe mm -hmm. and we say, it's terrible, mm -hmm. but I wonder how worse it could be, right. it, which is very hard to prove, of course, but yeah. um, there's so much beauty and wonder and yeah. art and music and experience, all these things. Like the universe has richness in it too. And yeah. being able to argue for what, you know, consciousness, why we mm -hmm. love art and be doing that's a real philosophical problem for an atheist. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, let's talk about this for a quick sec. Uh, suffering as proof of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we talked about the fact that atheist d doesn't really have a category. So Lewis, of course, very famously in Mere Christianity says, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Of course, I could have just given up my idea of justice. Uh, by saying that it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancy. And then he, of course, goes, the minute I try to argue against God, I go, man, God probably does exist. And he gave me this thing in me that feels like the universe is like disjointed, but mm. not just naturally. There's something actually like wrong. Yeah. How is that played out in your own life? I think starting just to define evil for anyone who's just wondering, like, okay, wait, I'm losing the conversation. What are we talking about? Evil is one of two things. You mentioned this. It's either it means it's morally wrong mm -hmm. or it means it's not the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. So when we say uh, rape is evil mm -hmm. or saying it's morally wrong, when we're saying a child should not die in infancy, it, that's evil. We're saying this is not the way it should be. So the problem becomes saying either of those two things. And so for me, my journey, I mean, I remember taking a problems in the philosophy of religion class and us walking through the problem of evil and we laid it out. And then I just approached my professor and I was just like, explain to me how evil exists if there is not a moral lawgiver. And he's like, yeah, I've, already, I've always kind of had a problem with that one. Mm. And so I think that's the sticking point. Yeah. And so I think... I think for me, it's just been comforting to notice that all the evil that I see in the world, mm -hmm. yes, it does stack up as evidence against the Christian concept of a good God. Mm -hmm. But 
also, it does stack up as evidence that there is this thing called good and yeah. there is this thing called evil. And so if you can allow that to just sit in your soul and when you see evil and you let your soul react to it and fiercely react to it and then yeah. ask the question that Lewis asked, as you just shared, where did this idea come from? Yeah. Who gave this concept to yeah. me? Is this Good. illusory right. as an atheist or um, a naturalistic philosopher and, would say? Uh, yeah. And how can it be overcome? And how can mm-hmm. it be overcome? What's the solution here? Yeah. I'll never forget a number of years ago when I was in Uganda and I met uh, a lady called Sister Rosemary that Netflix has since done a documentary on her. It's incredible. She was in Gulu, the northern part of Uganda, and she was there during the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, and Joseph Kony, that whole thing. And they're uh, kidnapping kids to join their army. And so you have these child soldiers that one of the first things they're told to do is go kill a member of your family because that would so psychologically break them that they're now ready to enter into this battle and war and stuff. And so she's there during that time. Everyone's fleeing. Everyone's running for their life, understandably. And she chose to stay. And she opened up her her home and this school for kids to come and find refuge. Mm -hmm. And so I'm having dinner with her and I'm hearing all these things. And this was the question I asked her, like, yeah. How how could you still have faith in God? I mean, you've seen the worst possible things. Mm. How could you still trust Him? And her answer was so compelling to me. Um, she she said, "Well, honestly, philosophically, theologically, it's really hard for me to justify, and I I don't fully understand. It's like yeah. Paul, I see through a glass dimly." But she said. What I've chosen to do with my life is to overcome evil in the best ways I know how. Wow. And and I think that's how Jesus lived his life. That rather than positing, okay, here's a list of philosophical answers, mm-hmm. there is that satanic element that he warred against. But Jesus' whole life was, well, he said it in Matthew 13. An enemy has done this. Yes. Right? He, he's identifying that Satan is behind so much of this. Mm-hmm. And then he set out to overcome it, washing feet, embracing the sinner, welcoming the wanderer back home. Yeah. That's how evil can be overcome and redeemed in our life. And even if we can't see it now, what we've experienced, there will come a day when we'll look back and say, okay, I now know why he didn't utter an answer at that time. I can't wait to see what that looks like because I have no idea how he's going to take the tangled threads of our life and weave it together. But I think somehow in some tapestrial type way, we will see the whole picture. Uh, We will see him, as as Paul says. That's so good. Yeah, I think from a worldview perspective, um, Tim Keller says, as Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism suffering is overwhelming. Mm. Contra Buddhism, suffering is actually real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair, but contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. Mm. Mm. So I think what's really important is A, just the philosophical idea that all suffering is meaningful is a very hard thing to prove because, you know, as people have shown, whether it's working out or whatever, the difficult things of our life are the things that often teach us the deepest things. Um, so suffering can be meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the advantage of disadvantage, talks about people who get up way up high in companies or whatever, people who, you know, even uh, I was reading a study the other day and um, there's like this very high percentage, like 67% of like geniuses who lost a parent or two by the time they were 14. Yeah. And it's like they can yeah. directly connect all, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's not that, okay, you know, God's then making people, but Christianity does come along, Romans 5, and go suffering yeah, produces right. endurance and character. Mm-hmm. That's right. And 
So it's not meaningless. Um, It can produce uh, strength and character. And I think this is where Christianity, to your point, Dom, is unique in the marketplace of ideas. Because what Mm -hmm. it says, and this is really important, it doesn't come along and say, I'm going to answer all your questions about every pain you've ever had. God doesn't do that. To your point, Job, Habakkuk, God is somewhat silent at the end of those books too, right? At the end of Job, you know, they theologize in a podcast like this, not just for 30 minutes, but for a long, many days. And at the end, God goes, hey, where were you when I made up hippos and lions and started throwing zebras around and creating rain and thunderstorms? And then that's the end of the book. It's like, wait, sorry, what? You know, it's like, that's the answer? Uh, But the beautiful thing is in Jesus Christ, we see that God, you know, contrary to deism, didn't stay off distant, contrary to polytheism and atheism, he entered into the world in Jesus, took on evil and suffering so that one day there could be a universe without it. And that's what you get in Christianity. Not an answer to every time you you, you have pain, Mm -hmm. Um, but you, you get Jesus who actually showed up and did something about it. You have a God, as Keller would say, at least we know he cares. Yeah. Yeah. And you can choose another worldview if you want, but mm-hmm. I think this is the best one in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. Plantinga says something so to that point. He says the chief difference between Christianity and other theistic religions is simply this that God entered into our sufferings. Mm-hmm. Good. But I do want to say something because I feel like sometimes Christians get so weird when we quote, let's say, like Romans 8, like, you know, I mean, I, I hate to put it this way, but this literally happens. I talk to people all the time that this happens. They get a diagnosis and then they go talk to their Christian friend and then the friend just says, you know God's going to use us for good, right? Mm. And to me, that, that's, that's skipping over a lot of steps. First step mm. is acknowledging that evil is evil. Our bodies were not meant to have sickness. Our bodies were not meant yeah. to perish. Yeah. Like that, that is not God's perfect plan for your life or for the world. So I think, A, we have to acknowledge um, that evil is evil. Mm-hmm. B, I think we have to say, all right, God, I, I'm going to lament this to your point. I'm going to protest this. This is not the way I want my life to be. Yeah. And so I'm going to protest this evil in my life. And then we end up kind of mixing up the causality and we say, well, I guess it's going to be worth it in the mm-hmm. end. And I don't think any part of scripture says that evil is worth it. Evil is evil. Evil is not necessary. There is a different way the human story could have played out that did not involve the only begotten son being crucified on the cross. We had a different choice in the garden, Mm. right? Um, Satan and his angels in heaven, they had a different choice, but God is a good God. And that's where we get Romans 8 which says that he is a good God and he will bring good out of this evil because he will not waste something that has happened to one of his beloved creatures. And he's that omniscient. Mm -hmm. He's that omnipotent. He's that omnibenevolent. He's so knowing. He's so powerful. He's so loving that he will redeem the evil in our life. But we have to be I would say not be careful not to be weird and skipping straight to that part of what the gospel yeah, says. Christians are weird. Christians are yeah, so weird. But that, in general, the, that is so key though. Cause, and, you, you, and you put that so beautifully because, yeah, with Romans 8, great example. We know all things work together for the good, but what what is that good? Right. And he goes on to dis, to say, while well, you're being formed into the image of Jesus, well, what happened to Jesus? <laughs> right. yeah. he, he died. Suffered. I, he suffered. Oh, wow. um, and I, I think of Psalm 73, we often say, God is good 
Yes, Mm -hmm. but verse 2 says, as for me, my feet almost slipped, Mm. right? So, there has to be this acknowledgement, and that's the beauty of of Christianity. We're not just slapping cat posters on things. We're not Job's friends. We're saying, we don't know. We're walking through this with you. We want to overcome evil with good, and we know that in this process, somehow, some way, God is in the process of redeeming it. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Anything else you guys want to say on this? I mean, there's so much to say, but... I have just one more concept that I found super helpful, and that is the whole concept of God's perfect will versus his permissive will. So every human, but especially parents, is you're aware of this idea that you can know about a bad choice your child is going to make or and the pain it's going to cause. You can be powerful enough as the parent to stop it. You can even have the desire to save them from that evil. But all the times parents make the choice at times for the sake of relationship with the child to not control and dominate them, or perhaps because they know it's necessary for them to make that choice, they choose to permit a certain bad experience to come into their child's life that they had full ability to stop from happening. So too, God has a perfect will and he has a permissive will. Mm. In Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21, the book ends of scripture, we have a picture of what God's perfect will is. No evil, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Bookends of scripture, that is what God's perfect will is. So if you're walking into the world and you are encountering evil and suffering and you find your soul crying out for a world in which there is no evil, no mourning, no death, no pain, no suffering, just know that in your soul of souls, you are crying out for God's perfect will. So what does it look like to align yourself with his perfect will and say, I trust myself to you. I yield myself to you. I trust you in this broken midst of your permissive will where I do not understand why you are letting these things happen, but I still choose you because your vision of what your perfect will is, that is ultimately what I am hungering for in this world. Amen. Well said. Anything else, Tom? That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Um, okay, guys. Well, hopefully, this conversation on evil and suffering, uh, well, it's not uh, fully exhaustive, um, has helped guide some of your thoughts and ideas. Uh, let us know uh, in the comments how it's helped. Mm. Share this video if it has helped. Uh, and uh, we will see you next time as we talk about doubt in the midst of faith and deconstruction, deconversion, all of these uh, huge issues that uh, presently are a big issue in our culture. So mm. uh, God bless you guys.